Luke, the second chapter, as we go into the Word of God today. Luke chapter 2, be speaking about just the birth of Jesus. Amen. I'm glad Christmas is here, but I'm even more glad it's almost over. Amen. My wallet can't take no more. I just let the saints say amen. I'm excited to be here. Come on. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking starting from verse 4. And then we'll pray and we'll get into the preaching. Amen. Luke chapter 2 verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Somebody say David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence, Lord, and we seek after your heart today, Father God. We come expecting from you, Lord God. We came to honor you in this day, the day that we celebrate your birth, Father God. Truth be told, we don't know the day exactly you were born, but one thing we know is today is the day that we celebrate as a church your birth, Father God, the birth of your mighty son, Jesus. And we thank you for that on this day. Come on, in Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Come on, as you're saying amen, I want you to look to your neighbor and say there was no room for Jesus. We pick up this story in the birth of Jesus at the point where Mary is about to give birth to the Christ. Uh, they've traveled Joseph's, uh, to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem um, from uh, uh, the Nazareth uh, city of Galilee because the emperor of Rome has declared that there should be a census amongst the people of the Roman Empire. He wants to number the people of the Roman Empire. This road to Bethlehem has not been easy. And understand that when I say this road to Bethlehem, I'm not talking about the actual trip. I'm talking about the events that led up to them getting to Bethlehem. We read in Luke chapter 1, the angel of the Lord came to Mary and he said to Mary, listen, you're a virgin. You found favor with God and I'm going to give you a, um, you're going to have a, a son by the spirit of God. And just go ahead and explain that to Joseph. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Virgin birth, yeah. Even in these days, right. Right. Don't worry, Mary, no problem. You found favor with God, and now I'm going to throw you into a mess. Nobody wants to hear that. It's all right. We think that favor with God means things are great. No, it means things go, all, all hell breaks loose. Even though she was highly favored by God, she was talked about, scorned, gossiped, probably called a whore. She was innocent, but yet favored by God. She would be looked at undoubtedly as someone of low character. Throughout this entire pregnancy, she would shed, uh, shed rather many tears. It's at this juncture that I would point out to you that uh, simply because you're in the favor of God does not mean your life has to be perfect. I want to take about 30 seconds to let you know that sometimes being in God's favor means that men despise you, means that people talk about you. It's not your job to talk back but to let God answer for you. Mary was most likely gossiped about, ridiculed, and Joseph called the fool. But in this moment, she realized that God's favor put her in a place of discomfort. She had restless nights full of tears and pain, undoubtedly. 
But still, she remained the course, probably hanging on to the words of the angel, fear not, for God is with you. I wish I really had the time today to go into the point that we, the world can hate you for being in God's presence. The world can hate you for following after God's will. So at some point, Mary has to break this news to Joseph, and I can only wonder his reaction. He was upset, hurt, confused. He was a good man, though. The Bible says in Matthew 119, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He must have been thinking, Mary, I'm a good man. Even in, even in my pain, I don't want to hurt you, but I'm a good man. Understand this, that in those days, that when you got engaged, you had to get a divorce to break off the engagement. It was serious those days. Somebody said it was serious. He must have been hurt. He was in a place of extreme discomfort. It says a lot about his character that even in the midst of pain, he did not desire to hurt Mary and desired to divorce her quietly. Scriptures tell us the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, No, Joseph, by the way, this is of God. She is pregnant by him. And he must have been like, Wow, really, God? I worshiped you my whole life, and now you get my wife pregnant. I would have hate to hear that prayer. I mean, just like, I wouldn't even got on my knees for that one. I'd be like, really, God? Just, he must have been really extremely upset. Could you imagine what his friends called him? We have words for that in Spanish that we can't say in church. Could you imagine what they said about him and how they ridiculed him? Could you imagine how following God really cost him a lot? Could you imagine how many friends talked about him and gossiped about him? How many people heard him? And you think you're the only one gossiped about you think you're the only one hurting? We could take notes from people in the Bible who when people stood up against him, they didn't reply. They just followed God's will. Joseph must have been extremely upset. Even in the moments where the angel came to tell him, I guarantee you there was moments of doubt. There was moments where he said, did God really tell me that was of him? Did God really tell me that this was his son? Did God really tell me? Have you ever had a moment where you knew God told you something, but then the week after you're saying, is God really telling me this? Can God really help me out? Can God really save me? Can God really deliver me from these issues that I have in my heart, in my mind, that are eating me alive? It had been nine months of just questions. Joseph was a good man in a tough position. And here he is on this road to Bethlehem. Mary's pregnant. She's about to give birth to the baby Jesus. And, and the Bible says that, that, they, that she gave birth to him and they placed him in a manger. Verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, tradition holds that he was born in a cave where they would shelter animals. Not a barn. He was born in a cave where they would shelter animals. And he was placed in a lowly manger. The Son of God is born in a cave and placed in a manger. In what farmers and ranchers used to feed their animals. And Joseph must have looked for other things. But in the end, all he found was a dirty manger. A dirty manger. Manger And Jesus was born into this. In this obscure cave lay the king of kings. And the paradox is epic in this proportion because if you look at it, God in the flesh had come. 
This was the moment where eternity entered the realm of time so that time could one time enter into eternity. If that's too deep, get the CD for you. I prayed all week for that one. Amen. It was at this moment that the all-sufficient God became dependent upon a woman and a man. It was at this point the master decided to serve. It was at this point that the ever-present help lie helpless in a manger. When the creator joined the creator, it was at this point the word became flesh and light dwelt amongst men. It was at this point that God hid the greatest thing in all of the universe in some obscure cave in the side of a mountain in a town called Bethlehem. And yet there was greatness in that cave even if someone didn't realize it. There was greatness in that cave even if someone talked about it, even if someone mocked it and ridiculed it. And I came today to tell somebody for just a few minutes that there's greatness in you no matter what someone says. No matter how anyone looks down upon you, there's greatness that has the ability to rise up in you. You may live in the fourth dirtiest city in all of the nation, according to Forbes magazine. But yet God has a knack for hiding great things in dirty places. For he, he hid the king of Israel, the greatest king they had, in a little shepherd boy with a lust problem called David. He hid, he hid a great deliverer of Israel in a murderer, ex-convict named Moses, who was exiled out of Egypt. God has a knack for hiding good things inside of bad packages. He hid, he hid a great man of God. He hid the, one of the founding fathers of the Israelite nation, Jacob, inside of a trickster, a liar, and a supplanter. If God could do it to them, he could raise up something in you no matter what is in you. Look to your neighbor and say, I think there's greatness in you. I think there's greatness in you. You have to begin to believe in yourself. The problem is most of you don't believe in yourself. If I could spend just a minute here to let you know how too many of you have believed the lies of the enemy. How too many of you have become victims of the words of others. How too many of you are imprisoned in negativity because what others have said about you or the people around you. And you didn't have enough God in you to handle it. And so you turned into a negative prison and you hate yourself. You hate your life and everything around you. But yet God says, man, I see greatness in you. Could you imagine if Jesus... Said, man, born up in a stinking cave, in this stupid manger. Gee, thanks, God. But yet, you have to realize that whatever your circumstances is, that you should give God honor and glory. You should give God praise. God wasn't concerned with what they called Mary or what they said about Joseph or what the latest gossip was on the street. He was only concerned with their willingness to do his will. And God hid greatness inside of this manger. I doubt that whoever created this manger ever knew that it would hold the Son of God in it. I highly doubt that whoever created this manger knew that one day it would hold the ultimate purpose in cradling the Son of God's head. I highly doubt that they ever knew that. And I highly doubt today that some of you realize who God says you are. I highly doubt that some of you realize that God says, man, I can use you in a capacity beyond what you can describe and or imagine and that there's greatness hidden in you. Somebody tell your neighbor there's greatness in you. But now that I got that out the way, that's not what I came to talk about today. I want to focus on just the last part of this scripture in verse 7. 
And she brought forth her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The reason why none of you see greatness in your life, the reason why none of you see God really move in your life, the reason why, the reason why is right here in verse 7, because there was no room for them. Because in your mouth you worship God, but in your heart there's no room for God. My biggest problem with the scripture is that the same problem Jesus had 2,000 years ago he has today. He has no room on his own birthday. Has no room in your heart. With our mouths we worship God. Our lives say we're Christians, but truth be told, there is no room for God. The passage of scripture declares there was no room for Jesus to be born. There was no place that he could go to lie his head in the inn. I don't know about you, but if I were Joseph, I would have been sorely upset and said, God, really? You put me through all this, and at the end of it all, you could not give me a place to stay. I look over society today, and I see the same problem happening that over 2,000 years later, there's no room for Jesus. It's no longer Merry Christmas. It's Happy Holidays. And we say stuff like, that's just not right. To me, it's Christmas, but I won't tell nobody that. I'll just say it to my friends. But to me, it's Christmas. Christ, keep Christ in Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. Everybody say, keep Christ in Christmas. We're so avid about that, but yet we don't keep Christ in Christmas. We look over our society today, and there's a war going on between Jesus and Santa Claus, it seems. Right now, Santa's winning. Let me tell you. I'm just going to let you know. Santa Claus is winning. There's no room for Jesus. Christmas has been commercialized. It's about the gifts we get rather than the one we got. And the gift we got was worth more than the ones we'll get. And that was Jesus Christ. I got a couple of amens. That's all right. That's okay. We focus on what we get. And we forget that what God has already given us, that over 2,000 years later, Jesus is still left outside in the cold. We throw parties and dinners in honor of this great day, Christmas. We spend thousands upon thousands of dollars with our families. Millions and billions across the country are spent in lieu of this holiday, but yet Jesus is the only one without a gift. All right. You still got, you still got one day to get him a gift, I'm just saying. Everybody's like, oh, man, I don't have a gift for Jesus under the tree. But I have a kid named Jesus, so that counts. We've systematically reduced Christmas to gifts that come from a fat man sneaking down our chimney dressed in a red and white suit that never gets dirty, who comes from the North Pole and is everywhere at once, not realizing it's a cheap representation of Jesus who comes from God's city Zion in the north, who's dripped in blood that's red and white, that's righteousness. He never gets dirty. He's everywhere at once. But yet, we tell our kids about Santa, but we don't tell them about Jesus. Teach our kids not to lie, but lie to our kids about Santa. That'll be the day I have a child and let them know that some fat man got him gifts when it was me working hard all year long. I'll get off my soapbox in a second here. We teach our kids not to lie, but lie to our kids. That'll make you no better. We tell our kids that Santa's coming, so you better behave. And oh, by the way, it's Jesus' birthday too. Christmas is not an opportunity for the nation's retailers' profit margins to go from red to black. 
but rather it is a time where your heart can go from black to red. Black meaning sin and red being covered by the blood of Jesus because the Christmas is about one thing and that is God beginning to unfold the plan of salvation for all mankind. It is not about nothing you get. It is not about gifts. It's not about giving gifts. It's about getting Jesus. And I want this church on this Christmas That when you sit around the table with your family, you give serious thought to God. You see, while Santa makes a list and he checks it twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. He does. Jesus, he came down and he went to the worst of people. And he said, even if you're not worth it, I'm laying down my life for you. Even to the ones who are not worthy. Is anybody getting this? Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, not to some men, not to a few, but to all men. Santa wraps up your gifts really pretty and really nice, so you, you know it's from him. And he puts them under a nicely pretty decorated tree. But Jesus' gift was slightly different. He actually took everything off. He didn't get under a tree. He got on the tree. And he said, you know what? This is the best gift I can give to you, that you can experience eternal life. You see, your tree might be topped with a star, but Jesus was topped with a crown of thorns. And this may sound like an Easter message, but you can't talk about the birth of Christ without the death of Christ because the birth of Christ was the onset of the death of Christ because he was born to die. No destiny, but yet to die. He didn't put them under a tree. He placed himself on the tree. Satan frowns, or rather Santa frowns. I keep on calling him Satan today, holy. Mm. He frowns upon children crying. He says, don't cry. Don't pout. Don't do any of those things. But Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. The Bible says every tear you cry is bottled by God and kept in remembrance of the problems you're facing. And yet, we teach our kids, don't cry and don't pout. He's making a list. Somebody says he's checking it twice. 2,000 years after the fact, Jesus has a hard time finding room on his birthday, on your agenda, on your priority list. And yes, he should be on your priority list. Santa looks for those worthy of a gift, but Jesus goes to the worst of us. And he says, now I came for the worst of you. Look to your neighbor and say, for the worst of you. You see, but the key comes in the next verse. And I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. And it's this, the angel of the Lord, he appears to the shepherds who are grazing their sheep in the field. And the Bible says that, they, that the shepherds were sorely afraid and that, and that the angel said, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he said, he gave him a reason why. Because I'm coming bearing good news. That today, the city of David, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, is born. When you think of Christmas, do you think of gifts, Christmas tree? Lights, or is the first thing you really think of the birth of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? The only thing worse about the not for remembering the constant death of Christ is that we forget the birth, too. And say to ourselves, you know what? 
Christmas is about us. Christmas is about what I can get my kids. It's about this or that. But I would challenge you, church, today that Christmas is not about you. I got one. Thank you, Kamora. That was you, right? I know you're, hallelujah. That was great. I got one because that really, I, I want Christmas to be about me, Pastor. I wanted that new, you know, iPad. I wanted that new this. I wanted that new that. But yet this Christmas, I think you should make a, a, a place for Jesus in your heart. A place to remember the truth about Jesus. Could you imagine if it was your birthday and I invited you to my house because I was throwing you a party? Wouldn't that be awesome, Ernie, if I, if I came to your house and said, man, Ernie, come to my house. I'm throwing you a birthday party. It's going to be epic. We're having pernil, arroz con gandules, pateles, because everybody knows pateles is for Christmas. We're going to have virgin pina colada. We're going to have all types, coquito, everything. We're going to have it all, Ernie. And you come over, and I'm handing out gifts, and you're the only one not getting one. Could you imagine if someone threw a birthday party for you, and everyone in the house got a gift but you? Yeah, the faces you're giving me right now, I'm like, oh, what's you would just leave. I'm never coming back. That's just dirty. I'll be Facebook about it. Wow. Dot, dot, dot. Over it. Isn't that, isn't that pretty much how it would be? And that seems horrible, but the horrible thing is that every year it happens to Jesus. Every year, we're forgetting about the truth behind Christmas, and that is that God unfolded his plan for salvation. Jesus is the hope for all humanity. His birth is the joy to all men. He is the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one that makes all things new in your heart. He is the one that can give you a facelift from the face down, from the ground up. He can turn your life around from the inside out. It is him. It is him right now. All year long, you're dealing with negativity and struggling in your mind. All year long, you're dealing with hopelessness and just helplessness. All year long. And the one time a year that you can really, really get free from all of that in your life, the one day you could do it, the day to celebrate Jesus Christ, you celebrate everyone else but him who came to remake you over. How quickly we forget about God. He's reduced to a nativity scene in our household or prayer before a dinner that we stuff our faces in. And let me tell you, church, there's nothing wrong with stuffing your face. There's nothing wrong with exchanging gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. But yet there is something wrong with constantly forgetting about the one thing that matters. And no, Jesus is not the reason for the season. No, he's not. He's the reason for creation. He's the reason for every season. He's the reason for every day. For the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were made for him, through him, and by him. He's the reason for everything. And I think that this Christmas we should try our darndest to make him the top priority of our day. That we would look to him and that we would get him a gift. And you may say to yourself, Pastor, there's not much I can get for God. God has everything. There's not much I can give to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has everything. Isn't that what we think? Well, what could I possibly give to God? The only gift he came to get was your heart. 
That's the only thing God cares about is your heart. And you can give him your heart. If you haven't bought him a gift yet and you're not saved, you're in luck. Because you brought that gift with you. All right. Amen. A couple of sinners are like, where is it at? I'm just kidding. Jesus is the reason why you all exist. He's not just a a quick thing on, on a 25th of December where we pray and pass out gifts, but he's much greater than that. He's much bigger than that. His purpose for your life is much bigger than that. I don't know about you, but it's my firm desire in this day, in this Christmas, in this year, that I make room for Jesus. That I make room for what he has to do in my life. That I make room for God. I guarantee you, church, if you would make room for God, your life would switch over. Okay, I got a couple people who want a new life. That's all right. When you let God in your life and you really put God as your first priority, and you put them as a real priority in your life, you'll begin to experience freedom. you begin to experience truth. you begin to experience victory in the midst of defeat, in the midst of people ridiculing you and people mocking you. It happens to me all the time. I still experience victory because God is on my side. I experience new things every day because God has made me over because I've accepted Jesus and made room for Christ in my life. And Christmas is about making room for Jesus. It's about honoring God. It's about honoring God. Is anybody getting this today? It's not about you. I feel bad for parents who can't afford to buy their kids gifts. I do, but then I feel bad that they think it's about the gifts. Because in reality, this is all about one thing. Can I sum this up in just a few words here? This whole Christmas uh, shindig, whatever they call this, you know, this whole Christmas thing, everything, everything is truly about one thing. Making room for Jesus. You thought I was going to say something new? Nope, back to the same topic. Making room Jesus. He's not interested in your Christmas decorations. He's not interested in your gingerbread houses. He's not interested in all the things that take your attention off of the real point of you. He's not interested of how pretty your tree is and how many ornaments you got on it and how many candles are in your house and how many gifts you had under it. You don't measure your level of blessing by how many gifts you can buy people. He's not interested in how pretty the things you bought for people are he's really not he's only interested if there's room in your heart for him is there real room in your heart for the king of kings the lord of lords the one that angels came to tell shepherds about the one that three kings walked thousands of miles to see is there room in your heart for that jesus the jesus who demands you to be different every day and not to be the same Is there room for him in your life? Is there room? Ask your neighbor, do you have room for Jesus? Truth of the matter is some of you don't have room. Many of you will leave this place today still not having room for Christ. But my whole goal is if I can reach just a few of you to say, you know what? My my priorities have been twisted. I've been focused on worldly things rather than godly things. And I haven't been really, really focusing on God. 
Oh, church, if you could be honest, Christmas season is the season we forget most about God. Starting from the day after Thanksgiving, we're supposed to be the most thankful. From that point on, it's a race to Christmas. It's a race to see how much money Walmart can get out your pocket. It's a race to see how many commercials Target can put on that makes you laugh. It's a race to see who can, can make the most profits. And all you hear on the radio is sales are at an all-time high. Sales at an all-time high. And never before has sin been at an all-time high. Never before has pain and anguish in people's hearts been at an all-time high. And yes, there's joy in Christmas. There's joy in receiving things. There is. But there's greater joy in receiving Christ that lasts far longer, far longer than just Christmas Day. There's so much more to this thing that you would never realize unless you said, you know what? I'm going to make room for Christ in my life, in my heart. I made that decision years ago, and it's the best thing that I've ever done. Anybody with me there? I don't know about you, but Christ has been the best thing that has happened into my life. It's been able to give me joy in times of sorrow. It's been able to give me strength in moments of weakness. It's been able to do incredible things in my life. And today, you might have thought, you know what, I'm just coming to church. I'm just coming to just go to church because it's Christmas time, time of the year. I'm just coming to church. But yet today, I want to offer you a gift. Come on, stand with me all across the sanctuary. I want to offer you a gift in this day. I want to offer you a gift worth having. I want to offer you a gift worth talking about the next day after Christmas. I want to offer you a gift. And that is Jesus Christ. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That is Jesus Christ. The hope for humanity. In him there is no frustration. In him there is no burden. For he said, cast all your burdens upon me. If you're burdened, church, I would challenge you, there's no room in your heart for Christ. I think some people need to come to a realization, I don't care how long you've been here, you don't have room for God in your heart. Your attitude dictates it. Your lifestyle dictates it. There's no room for Christ in your life. For where there is Jesus, there is peace and hope. There is joy fullness of joy but when he comes into your life he changes you and he gives you a gift he's the only person I know who on his birthday gave everyone else a gift this is a gift worth having come on every head body back close I want you just to focus in and say you know what do I have that gift in my heart do I have room for God have I ever thought about making room for Christ in my life? Have I ever thought about making room for Jesus in my life? Come on, if that's you today, you're lifting your hands. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. Thank you. You're saying, you know, I haven't made the full attempt. I want you to put Christ as the supreme affection of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, your head's about. We got about seven, eight. It's about nine. Come on, that's right. Just lift your hands. Ten. Say, I want to put Christ in. Eleven. Come on. I want to put Christ in. I want to make real room for the Son of God. I want to make real room. Real room that provokes change in my life. That provokes real, real change. It's twelve. 
13. Come on. Come on, I'll give you a few more seconds. 13 people, church, are wanting to make a decision for Jesus Christ in this day. Come on. And you're saying, I don't have room for him, but I'm going to make it right now. 14. I want to make room for the King of Kings. For the King of Kings right now in Jesus' name. That's right. Come on, repeat this prayer after me, church, right now. Let's help them out. Dear Heavenly Father, it's with my whole heart that I come before you. It's with my whole heart that I give you the permission to come into my life. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I desire to live with you all the days of my life. I give you permission to change me from the inside out that I can never be the same. With all my heart, I desire this. In Jesus' name. Come on, can I ask you all across the saints, we just bow your heads and lift your hands as high as you can. Lift your hands as high as you can. Come on, if the musicians come forward.